Hey, good evening, everybody. Uneducated Economist here. Nice. Look at you. 41 of you up in here already hit the like button. 15 likes already. Go ahead and hit that like button for me if you could. We'll get more people up into the algorithm, or the algorithm will pick up more people and bring them here to the video. <clears throat> However you want to hear it. Uh, I'm going to be out here for about 45 minutes or so. I got to go pick up my uh, my boy from a, from a class, but I thought I would talk lumber because some pretty exciting things have starting to take place here in the lumber industry. Now, it's not exciting in the sense that it's really like news or anything. I mean, we've been talking about it for quite some time uh, that these mill curtailments were eventually going to find their way into the prices that, you know, or that we're experiencing now. Even though the prices are low, they are moving up and moving up quite dramatically. Um, a lot of people are asking me, you know, what's going on? We had this like 50% move inside of two weeks. And it's not exactly a 50% move inside of the lumber prices. Um, if you take like the lumber prices of 348 per thousand that we had experienced a couple of weeks ago, and you compare them to the 522 per thousand that we had experienced earlier today, I think they've come down to like 490 or something, but that is two separate contracts that were happening right there and so when the january contract closed on the 15th it was low it was down under 400 per thousand but today the march contract is what we're looking at that's at 522 per thousand or 493 or whatever it happens to to have closed out at so there's two separate things that were happening there so we had the low of 348 from the previous contract and a high right now of 522 for the March contract, which is the next one. If you really want to know what the spot price is, because typically people will go to the next month contract, so like the March contract, that would be the spot month, right? That people would track as far as like lumber futures price go. But there's also something called print or cash price. And this is something that Keta from Madison Lumbers talks a lot about. And that even though we see a futures price of 522, that may not be what lumber mills are selling that lumber for today. What they are selling it for is, well, what they refer to as print or cash. And each mill is going to be a little bit different from all the next, right? So this is what like Random Links or what Madison's Lumber Report does is they compile all this information and then put it out in a report to make it a little easier for people who are in the industry, like, you know, the big time home builders or distributors to understand what's happening throughout the nation. And that's really how there's like a lot of obscurities on what has taken place as far as the pricing in lumber. I mean, you got the futures price, you got spot price, <clears throat> and then you have like the closing price of 348, which people are like, you know, blown away by when you see 522 just a couple of weeks later. But these are all separate contracts and prices and stuff. However, lumber futures and the March contract is very important to follow because what that is, is the perceptions, right? This is the way people are feeling about the future. And when you see lumber prices moving up as fast as you are inside of the March contracts, that leads me to believe that there is an expected demand coming in the next couple of months or else they wouldn't be there. I mean, look at some of the volume that has taken place. It's quite extreme. There is a lot of volume and the prices are moving up. That to me, that seems to me that there is a demand coming. Now, I don't see the demand in the builders themselves. I don't see demand coming from anywhere as far as like my experience working at a lumberyard. I don't see demand. Like I don't see it anywhere. But there's a perception that there's going to be a demand coming into the future. And you can see it inside of those March contracts. Now, something that I find very interesting also within this is how quickly these prices move. When you have 
when you have a move of a hundred per thousand when lumber was at 400 per thousand that is an incredible that's incredible volatility that is super like prior to 2018 if you had a hundred per thousand move inside of a couple of weeks when lumber was at 400 per thousand people would have been flipping out they would have freaked out about what the hell is going on right now it's hardly even noticed okay and so really a lot of people are probably not really paying attention to the lumber market because there's not a lot of projects taking place like if you were trying to build a house or if there was a lot of housing demand then people will be screaming about like you know the lumber futures but nobody's paying attention to that any longer they will they will soon when the when the prices really start to move up but what i have what i have to think about is there are projects that are going to happen like even during the times when builder sentiment is low there's still people who are going to be building homes like you know even spec homes however like trying to bid out that home when you have cheap lumber and then having the lumber moving up as fast as it is makes it very difficult to bid those projects out which means what high prices on homes for the the home builders out there who are trying to build spec homes and that you know you take on risk if you have this volatility volatility is risk and with risk comes higher prices and that's a lot of what we're probably going to end up seeing due to these higher lumber prices now i know a lot of people are probably going to argue that and saying that there's just not going to be anybody building but again there's always some sort of project taking place at any given time even spec homes so this is what we're what we're to expect coming into the future is that we're going to having even more curtailments even tighter inventory levels we're not going to see the mills pumping up a bunch of lumber like we did when it ran up to 1700 and nobody was buying and the mills were producing a lot of it we're not going to see that this time take a link that take a look down in the link that i leave in the description of this video and you can see that one of the major mills, Canfor, has shut down production like permanently at a, one of their facilities temporarily, but like with no expected opening date. This is major. I mean, this is one of the major signs that is taking place not only up in the British Columbia area, but that I'm finding and reading throughout many parts of the industry. Now, you think about it, like when lumber was running up really high, and we had this inflation scare and we had the input costs going up from energy and employment and all the trucking and all the other stuff that was going on with the, you know, you have to think that gave the, the environment to, to produce a lot of lumber. Like it was, it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, you know, what was actually taking place during the time. But when those lumber prices were moving up, it was a matter of trying to fill in that demand. Well, this time around, it's not like there's a filling in of demand. There's like no demand out there. So if the mills aren't excited about producing because they don't think of, think there's going to be demand out there, then the inventories are going to stay very low. And that's really where the concern starts to come because it give it any moment where the builder sentiment pops there simply just won't be enough material in the system in order to supply that. And then you'll see the prices really start to launch. Um, so the mill curtailments, I mean, this is something, like I said, we've been talking about for well over six months. I mean, I talked about it at the Rebel Capitalist back in Miami. What was that, June? And so it's now coming, you know, coming to a head. We're starting to see it take place. I honestly thought that this was going to happen like a few months ago, like I thought two or three months ago is really when we were going to start seeing the prices move up. But, you know, on the grand scheme of things, even missing it by three months really isn't that bad. Um, 
anyway, uh, you guys know that I get the lumber letter once a week, um, newsletter that kind of lets me know what's going on in the different industries or different regions within the industry. And it's pretty much like I've been saying, um, you know, if you look at the, uh, you know, at the lumber prices right now or the lumber market right now, you'll see it. They're talking about the mill curtailments all over the place. Uh, let's see here. In the Western SPF, continued announcements of curtailments and new significant permanent closures in the British Columbia area. So that's relating to that article that I leave down in the description. But that's in the Western. The Eastern, more curtailment announcements regarding British Columbia. Um, so even in the Eastern part, they're talking about it. Um, let's see here. The Southern Yellow Pine. That one's a little different because the Southern Yellow Pine market is quite large. And in fact like a lot of the British Columbia mills are shutting down their operations up in, up in that area and moving down to the southern part of the United States because there's a glut of pine trees down there now. And the British Columbia forest has been pretty much decimated from the bug infestations, the wildfires, the, you know, just the forestry in general. And so they have about 30 years before they're going to come back to what they were, what they were operating at. But in the southern part of the, uh, the United States, the southern yellow pine market, um, it shows here, uh, let's see, up two by fours were up 20 per thousand, two by six regions were 15 to 20, two by eight uh, seen an increase, two by 10 and larger increase. So yeah, it looks like the pine market down there, that doesn't show, talk about anything in the curtailments, but talking about increasing their prices. Uh, let's see here, long lengths have tightened up and we're seeing four to six week lead times. So there you go. like. I mean, the longer they're talking long lengths, 22, 24, and 26 foot. But still, that's the sign, right? The sign of tightening up inventory. When you start getting out of the uncommon lengths, like anything over 20 foot long is not that common. As far as like typical lumber yards not carrying a whole lot of the, the longer lengths over 20 foot. And so you can see like if they're not the most high demand pieces, then they're going to start tightening up inventory. And you can see that four to six week lead time already on those. So this is starting to happen. We're going to find going into summer that there's going to be a shortage of lumber. And I would not be surprised that if we had any kind of like any little uptick in home builder sentiment that we would see those lumber prices just skyrocket. Now, what would give that home builder sentiment an uptick? You know, everybody is out there is just itching. And you think about it, home builders, again, like I said, they want to build. They That's their job. That's how they earn money is by, you know, going out there and producing homes. And so I have to think like, you know, what's this environment going to look like if we have the Federal Reserve and their Fed funds rate, like they've been raising a three quarter point, half a point, quarter point. This is what they've been talking about doing is bringing the interest rate or the increasing of interest rates down, right? They're still going to increase them, but they're just not going to increase them as much. And when the markets hear this, they take that as good news. Like that's good news. If it was bad news, it would be like they're going to increase it even more. But if they don't increase it as much, that's good news, even though they're still raising the interest rates. So if that good news starts hitting the market, well, then that good news might start getting the home builders, you know, spark their interest a little bit because they're itching to try and make money. Right. Just like everybody else is. Um, I'm sure I'll think of something else. But what are you guys talking about? Uh, let's see here. This cruised up here a little ways. Okay, got my 350 call right, and we hit it and bounced. Right on. Did he predict this? Yes, I did. I mean, I couldn't tell you exactly, like, 
you know, I couldn't tell you the exact price because I mean, nobody knows. I, I mean, I said anything under 400 per thousand was probably going to cause the mills to go into curtailments, anything under 500 per thousand. And they're really not making a whole lot of money. So between four and five is, Oh, just barely operating kind of cost. So anything under that they're, they're done. They don't want to do it. And anything over 500, then that'll get them, you know, starting to produce again. Um, yeah, it's something that I've been saying. I've been saying that since for well forever. I mean, I do a lumber video just about once a week, but really I had talked about that. I mean, I have a video down in the, down in my list. I mean, if you go back about six months ago, you can find where I was at the rebel capitalist and Ken McElroy asked me about the lumber prices and where they were headed or what my opinion was on it. And I gave pretty much that exact answer of what we have experienced just now. So yeah, I predicted this. I mean, kind of, yeah, I, I don't want to call it an actual prediction because to me predictions is like nailing it on timing and dollar price, you know, and I was just more like, Hey, we got mills going into curtailment. This is going to tighten up inventory at some point towards the end of, you know, summer going into winter that we're going to see the prices bounce again during a time in which that you wouldn't expect most people or in during a time when you wouldn't expect prices to be going up because it's winter, we're going to see it happen. And I said that back then, I just wasn't exactly right on the timing. I thought it was going to happen a couple of months ago. All right. Uh, go back and listen to the old videos. He read my comments. Then he said he did not know why I picked 350 lumber at the time was 600. Yeah, I mean, I didn't pick 350. I mean, yeah, you. Where did 350 come in? I mean, to me, anything over under you know 400 was gonna cause the curtailments. That's more what I was concerned about. I mean, I guess if you're trying to invest like if you're trying to make money off of the off of the moves then yeah i guess the timing of timing and price would be very critical for that but if you're trying to plan like projects going into the future i don't think that timing or the 350 was as important as being able to get the lumber package at the least amount that you could like that's more of like the timing like you know in months not days you know all right, let's go back up here. People need to learn that this system will never collapse. The central planners have spent centuries building this infrastructure. They're not going to let it burn. You know, I kind of agree with that. I mean, you know, a lot of people, when they look at the Federal Reserve and they look at some of the things that are taking place and they talk about how they lost control and don't know what they're doing and screwed everything up. And I'm thinking it looks to me like this is going exactly the way they have planned it. Like exactly. I, I don't know why people would say that they failed. Um, you know, even in the speeches that we have just read recently, I mean, where's that speech? What did, uh, what did, uh, Lael Brainerd say? that uh this is her exact words this is why it has been important for monetary policy to take a risk management posture to defend the expectations anchor they don't want it to go down they want an elevated expectation anchor right inflation expectation to be high and why do they want it well because john williams said it here in this speech monetary policy for monetary policy strategy for a low neutral interest rate world says in says right here in other words monetary policy is always swimming upstream 
fighting a current of too low inflation expectations that interferes with achieving the target inflation rate. So John Williams said it back in 2018. It's like, we got to get the inflation expectation elevated because it is causing us some major problems. And what does Lael Brainerd say just last week? That this is why it's important for monetary policy to take a risk management position, posture to defend the expectations anchor. They did this on purpose. They wanted this inflation. They wanted this tight condition they wanted everything that we are experiencing right right now within the economy the federal reserve is saying we did it we absolutely are nailing this we got it you know we got our fed funds rate back up to five percent we're gonna get you know all the interest rates up we're gonna do this we're gonna not destroy the entire system like everybody said that they were gonna do and like i said that they would have done if they were to raise interest rates and you had asked me that you know two years ago or whatever. I mean, this is, this is really where like being a good economist means that you take in information and you can adapt those, that information to your, to your strategies, your beliefs, your theories or whatever. If you become so fixed on your beliefs, like this is the way it is. The fed screwed up and I'm not changing. I'm not going to change my belief about that. They, they screwed up. Right. Then everything that you see after that is going to be somehow a screw up of the Federal Reserve or how the Federal Reserve is going to continue to screw up. And if that's the I mean, maybe that is your belief. I mean, if that's your belief, so be it. I mean, I'm not trying to change that. I'm just saying that I had that belief at one time and then I realized now the Fed plays us. They play us hard. Right. I mean, the whole credible threats thing. I mean, I don't know how many times I've gone over that theory and talked about how the credible threats are even alive and present today. I mean, just the idea, think about it. The idea of not lifting the Fed funds rate as much is good news. How do they condition a market to believe that the lifting of interest rates is still good news? Like, it's not good news. That means that the environment is still in a bad situation. The inflation is still running hot. People are still in pain from it and that they have to continue to keep the interest rates elevated. That is not good news. But yet, if you hear that they're taking the interest rates from a three-quarter point rise to a half a point rise, everybody's singing like happy days, right? I mean, this is like, it's crazy to think, but that's the condition that they've got this market into. They're, I mean, they got the market just feeding out of the palm of their hand. All they have to do is just whisper something about how they're going to keep interest rates down or going to lower interest rates and the markets would just eat that up. The financial markets would just be loading up on, you know, cheap debt for everybody. It would just be funny as hell to watch. And then what would be even funnier is if they made that statement and then didn't do anything, just let the markets just, you know, go run wild like that while the free, free markets trying to figure it out in the, uh, in the, uh, economy is trying to back up like trying to figure out where it is that they should be with the interest rates what does it say not curtailments that doubled the tariffs on canadian soft lumber that's what happened oh man no it's not all right no it is not and you know how it's not because they keep doing these tariffs over and over and over again they've been doing it since the 80s all right the tariffs isn't what does this it's not what does it it's a supply and demand issue and it comes from the inventory levels that's it period right that's what does this i i mean i'm not saying it doesn't contribute right but what that does really is it forces canadian mills to start setting up shop down in the united states that's what the tariffs really do 
So that's what we're happening. Like you got Canfor, Infor, Interfor, uh, who is West Fraser, right? These are like the three top big giant Canadian mills. I think Interfor has more mills in the United States than they have in Canada. Like that's crazy to think, right? A Canadian mill uh, operating more mills in the United States than they are in Canada. And that's what we're experiencing right now. That's what the tariffs do, right? Um, and it wasn't tariffs. I mean, it, it does like impact, but it doesn't have like that kind of effect on on inventory levels to the state that we are experiencing right now. This is a supply and demand issue due to prices. All right, dollar dropped even to the Canadian dollar. Yeah, well, you're gonna see like fluctuations. I, a lot of, somebody asked me, it was just like, so the dollar's day is done, it's going back down. I mean, the dollar index was at 110, it's at like 102. I don't count those days out. Oh, we got a long ways to go in this game and you're going to see that dollar start to rise again. I believe it's going to go much higher than 110 before this is over. I mean, the dollar index rising is the pain. And the Fed said that we are going to experience pain, that the households and businesses of the United States will feel and experience the pain. And I don't I don't think we've gone through the pain, like whatever painful experience that people think that they've experienced. I don't even think that's pain. That's like, that was like the Fed tickling us. Hey, the pain is coming. (laughs) Because you think about it right now is, I mean, with the lag of the Federal Reserve, we are right now in a neutral economy. I mean, that's even scarier to think about. We have been in an accommodating economy going into a neutral economy. Not anything that we have experienced yet has been restrictive, okay? Not in a, nothing. Like the financial markets kind of immediately started acting when the Fed you know, lifts rates. But the actual impact to the economy right now, we are sitting at what was just the tail ends of accommodations going into neutral. From here, we are just now starting to experience what it's going to be like going into a restrictive economy. So everything that we have experienced so far hasn't even started with the restrictions yet. The restrictive economy is going to be very painful and nobody's expecting this. Nobody's anticipating it. I don't say nobody's anticipating it. I say less people are. Anybody who thinks that the Federal Reserve is going to be reversing course when the interest, when the inflation comes down to 2%, those are the people I'm talking about. They're the ones who are going to get burned because they think that the Fed is going to be acting quickly. They won't. The, the inflation is going to come down to 2% and then the Fed is going to stay elevated for a significant time after that. And I just can't wait because I can already see the headlines. The Fed is causing unneeded pain to the people, right? It's going to be something just like that. All right. All right. Timber grows best in wet summers, and at least what I read about during dating tree rates. I totally agree, sir. One and a half week lead time right now. Five A zip sheeting here in North Carolina. Inventory is starting to tighten here. I would invest in wood at strip at strip joints. All right, boom, what's up, Hexacans? Sent you the latest Trends Journal, brother, enjoy it. Yeah, thank you, I did see that, and I will be enjoying that this weekend. Uh, How long does the futures price take to affect the retail? Now, that's a good question. That one, it really depends on the... on the supplier that you're using, if you're in a in an area that is 
very uh, active. Like there's a lot of building happening and those lumber yards in your area are churning over a lot of lumber. Then the prices are very quick. Like, I mean, if they're turning over their entire yard within, you know, two or three weeks if or quicker than that, then you see the prices move almost immediately. But if you're in a remote area, like even, you know, where I'm at or even further, you know, some of the further yards are even more distant from like the Portland hubs or something, then those guys take a long time to roll, roll their inventory over. So you think about it, you buy all this lumber and then you're sitting on, well, like on, when lumber's moving up, it's not so bad. It's on the way back down that it really hurts retailers, right? So you buy all this lumber and then as lumber starts to move up, as you roll your inventory over into new lumber, that's when you start you know, marking up the prices. Now, you wanna stay as competitive as possible, but then you also wanna make as much profit as possible. So when you're competing with the other yards, if the lumber prices are moving up and they're moving their prices up because they're rolling over a lot of inventory, then you're probably going to find that the other lumber yards will kind of follow suit and move their lumber up as well. But again, it's all about transactions and how many transactions you can do. So if you can keep your lumber competitive or under what the other guys are charging, even though you, since you had purchased it cheaper, well, then you're going to get all the business, right? So if you can sell lumber cheap, then you got all the nails, screws, glue, windows, doors, all the rest of the stuff that goes with it. That's where the money is made. Lumber's surprisingly, most people don't know this, but lumber really doesn't have much profit in it for a lumber yard. I mean, they, they really, the only reason why you even sell lumber is so you can sell nails, screws, glue, and all the rest of the stuff that goes with it. But lumber doesn't have much of a markup on it. And so being competitive on it is very difficult. So again, to answer the question, how long does it take? You know, anywhere from like say two weeks on a really fast moving lumber yard to a month, six weeks, depending on again how slow the the things you know things are things are. Um, right now, there's not a lot of transactions happening. There's not a lot of turnover, and so the lumber that's in the system right now is fairly inexpensive lumber. The prices are moving up on the futures contract and if that stays elevated for a significant amount of time, that lumber will start making its way into the system and then you'll see the retail prices elevated. Right now, just because it's spiked over the last two weeks, if it drops back down to, you know, 400 per thousand again, then you're probably not gonna see much difference in the retail because it didn't stay significantly elevated, you know, for, for a time in order to get that expensive lumber out into the system. Does all that make sense? <laughs> anyway. Okay, 230 watching, only 87 likes. Come in, guys, Let give it a like. <laughs> yeah, please, do hit that like button when you come in because it really does help out with the algorithm. We'll get more people up in here. I'm going to be out here for probably another 25 minutes or so. All right. The pain is mainly for people who have dollar denominated debt or high valuation assets. A lot of regular people will just see lower prices. It's good. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people will. But uh, the thing is, is that a lot of people are, are not really in a, like most people are strung out on debt and live paycheck to paycheck. And so there's really not a whole lot of like relief that comes right when you know the prices come down what does that mean well it means you don't have to take on as much debt or maybe you can pay off some of the debt but your standard of living doesn't really go up that much with it um at least that's what i have found you know when i was living like paycheck to paycheck it's just it doesn't really like 
you know, to me, like, it didn't really matter what the price of anything else was out there when you had trouble, like, trying to figure out how you're going to buy toilet paper and milk and stuff like that. Um, you know, I don't know. The, uh, I think that, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to cleverly say this without just sounding insulting as hell, but poor people, I don't think, notice it as much as people who have means or have a higher standard of living. Um, you know, they don't have as much to lose. They, you know, they're already, you know, sitting as tight as it can be. So like, you know, it's not like they have to suffer with not experiencing the things that they normally had. Like, you know, it's kind of funny, like once you elevate your life up to, you know, having things that you enjoy, you know, you like having cable, you like having cell phone, you like going out to eat, you know, whatever. And then you start taking these things away and you think, man, my life sucks. I, I can't do all the things that I used to do. But, you know, really, if you had lived that life to begin with, you don't really miss it. You don't even notice that it's gone. And that's the way I lived for the longest time. So, you know, and that's what I think about, like, right now, too, even. It's just like, you know, the the YouTube algorithm, the revenue, whatever, it is so, like, you, you never know what it is, what it's going to be. You know, when people ask me in the past, do you ever think about quitting your job? And, you know, and I thought, no, I, I don't think I will because... The security of having a nine to five job, knowing that you're going to, you know, you got, you got paycheck coming. Like it's easy You just show up every single day and you're guaranteed the money. But like here with YouTube, it's not so, it's not so easy like that. You know, the fluctuations in the revenue are quite extreme. And then when you come into like a particular month, like now where the algorithm doesn't spread the video around to any new viewers, it's really strange. I pretty much just have my fan base, you know, which is awesome because those are the people I appreciate the most. So that's the reason why I'm even out here. But, you know, even then thinking, okay, well, what if I did lose all of, all of my, you know, YouTube revenue, you know, what, how would that impact my life? You know, did I condition my life to be accustomed in using this YouTube algorithm or using YouTube um, revenue? you know, to, to conduct my life. And I didn't like, I used the YouTube revenue to create the down payment that I have for the house, but I don't like, I, I don't, I don't use that money for, for my living expenses or anything else like that. Um, and the reason why I did it that way is because if I did happen to lose YouTube, then I could just go back to my, just go back to my normal life, you know, with just making my nine to five job and then figuring out how I can, you know, do my side gigs or something. But that's the condition that I put my life into. I know a lot of people don't do that. Like when they get the new money coming in, they want to, you know, increase their standard of living. They want to drive a nicer car. They want to, you know, maybe go out to eat or go, you know, on vacation or something like that. Um, that ten that has the tendency to be for just about anybody who who increases their wages or increases their income. Um, when I saw that, I didn't do it. Like I'm thinking, now nah, at some point I might lose this YouTube thing, and I'm gonna have to revert back to just being able to make my payments with or bills with a nine to five job. And so I just made sure I conditioned my life to stay that way. Um, I don't get the new Camaro, but you know. I don't, I don't stress about losing the uh, YouTube revenue either. So, All right. Uh, making money is an action. Keeping money is a behavior. And growing money is wisdom. Yeah, that's very true. Calling five on the dice. What's happening all night? Good to see you here. 
then we would take over the Oscars and emails and give this television event lots of awards. I guess I'm going backwards. Maybe I should go the other way and start reading downward here. Don't be afraid to take profits. What do you have to lose? Yep. It's neutral because the rate hikes hasn't taken hold yet. They're a lag. Yep. The crazy thing here is the next month they will talk about how smart the Fed is and rates falling and inflation falling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. And it's... It, it's like... The mind games that are being played with this, this really, I mean, it's gotten to the point now that I question every single thing that's being said. Like, I look, I, like these speeches, like I scrutinize every sentence of them. That's where I found this one. I'm like, you know, that's not an accident to be stated that way. That this is why it's more important for monetary policy to take a risk management posture to defend the expectation anchor. I mean... How simple, I mean, it's just like as straightforward as it can possibly be. They do not care about bringing inflation down. That's not what they care about. What they care about is maintaining an inflation expectation that is elevated so that it doesn't interfere with their monetary policy since it was always swimming upstream, fighting a current of too low inflation expectations that was interfering with their achieving their target inflation rate. So I don't, I don't, I don't think for a second that the housing market was completely i mean i i believe this is the way it went down that they knew that the housing market was going to that was going to turn right and the federal reserve has stated many times that they have to have a functioning mortgage market in order to have a functioning monetary policy and so when it came to the housing market <clears throat> and just before you know as COVID was kicking in and we knew we could see it happening that all these people losing their jobs there was going to be a massive foreclosure and they set that forbearance up that little situation right there that screwed everybody out of out of for being able to find a buy a foreclosed home all right that's what really that's what screwed it up right because once you took out the ability to foreclose on a home it wiped out all the all the available inventory out there there should be some naturally occurring foreclosures like any financial market condition whatever there would be times when people would fail to make their payments like whether they lost their job or death in the family or something happened right where there would be this naturally occurring foreclosures but they took those and wiped them out and said nobody's getting foreclosed on there is going to be no foreclosures and if you don't have foreclosures and you don't have the risk of foreclosures you know, then that's really what saved the, the housing market. Inventory tightened up, prices shot up, and anybody who couldn't make their forbearance or come out of forbearance and make their past payments, they just sold their house for a profit. It was a complete setup. It was a complete setup to prevent the housing market from failing. Now, I'm not saying that the housing market isn't going to come down. It's going to come down. It's obvious. It's coming down all over the place. But what does it come down to? Does it come down to something that would resemble normal? Like the last two years have not been normal, not even remotely normal. And even in the last year, I watched the price of the house that I purchased just go up insanely, an insane amount, like a stupid amount. Something that I would never have expected, didn't expect, and now is happening. So I really do have to thank like the Federal Reserve set this up. They wanted those prices of those homes to be elevated ex an extremely high amount so that when the inflation comp 
the combating in, of inflation or whatever that's supposed to mean started bringing the houses down that they would come down to something that would have been a normal price or maybe just below normal. That is really what I think the Federal Reserve had tried to do. I mean, I did a video talking about that back in 2018. In fact, I just did a short taking the clip, you know, of that video talking just about that exact thing, how the Federal Reserve was going to elevate the the prices of everything so that when the inflation, when the combating inflation kicked in and they bring the inflation back down, that it would land back at a normal price. And I don't see how the Fed missed the mark. I mean, they did it. They got exactly that. Now, there was a lot of noise out there. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of like misunderstandings of what the Fed was doing. Even the Fed's own statements Right, led people to believe that, but that's part of the credible threats you know, is to is to convince the people that they didn't know what they were up to, you know, or something like that. But they knew, they knew it the whole time. Did I just get a super chat? I did. Thank you very much, Robert Shields, for the dollar ninety nine. That's very good, very cool of you. Could we survive a true free market economy? Well, yeah, of course you could survive, but the problem with it is, is that nobody knows how to deal with it. <clears throat> the booms and bust cycles that come from a free market are going to be very damaging to a lot of people who during the good times just, you know, basically thought that the good times would always roll and never prepare for a downturn. So the free market, yeah, I think we could function in a free market just fine. However, dealing with the booms and bust cycles will be very difficult for most people. So no, like we couldn't just snap into a free market because the people just simply wouldn't know how to behave in that. And you would find people just like absolutely devastated because of it. We, uh, I mean, I don't, like I'm prepared. I would love it. I mean, let's do the free market thing. Let's do gold and silver thing. Let's do Bitcoin thing. Let's do anything. I don't care. Like, I mean, let's go for it. Um, but the reality of the situation is, is that nobody else out there is prepared to deal with gold, silver, Bitcoin, that kind of thing. They're prepared to deal with the dollar. They're prepared, they're prepared to watch their retirement portfolio, pay them until they die. Whatever happens after that, they don't care, right? That's the majority of the people. And so I don't know what it is that can be done to fix that, but it ain't going to happen without a collapse of the entire system. So if you want to go back to like a gold standard or Bitcoin or free market or something like that, you would have to pretty much crash this entire system and start over again. There is no like reverting back to that thing. At least not in my opinion, there's not. Uh, uh, let's see here. If they want to unload those treasuries on the Fed's balance sheet, you have to find buyers. You have to provide a yield. <clears throat> yeah, um, I agree with that. And so I'm not sure... You know, it's not just the Fed. Okay, so there is a demand for treasuries out there, right? And I think the idea behind it is, is that if the Fed like unloaded a bunch of these treasuries off their balance sheet, that they would flood the market and the prices would basically plummet and the yields would rise. That's kind of the idea behind it. And then with this yields rising or the cheap prices, that would encourage investments, you know, investors to get into that into that particular asset, the U.S. Treasuries. Now. One of the things that I have thought about, and I'm still kind of questioning, is a lot like mortgage-backed securities, right? Now, the Federal Reserve, I heard the same thing, that if the Federal Reserve dumps these mortgage-backed securities into the market, prices will fall, and the yields will rise, and nobody will be able to afford their house payments anymore because the interest rates would be too far, right? This is like, I mean, I even said this, you know, but I also 
right as the Fed started to unwind or start to make those statements about unwinding their balance sheet, I, I said then, I'm like, well, if they unwind their balance sheet and there's less mortgages being written because the interest rates are high and the home sales are low, so there's less mortgages being written and there's less refinancing taking place because who's going to refinance a low loan into a high loan? So the creation of mortgage-backed securities starts to fall, right? And so if there's less mortgage-backed securities in the market, then that means that the price is, well, when the investors go to buy them, if there's less investors or less securities in the market, then the prices will find their find their stability, right? But if the investors don't want in on that market, right, then the prices will continue to fall and the interest rates will continue to rise. So this is where I find that when the Federal Reserve made that statement that they were going to be unloading those mortgage-backed securities into the market, that's when you started seeing the interest rates rise as the financial markets were immediately second, taking position on that. Well, what do we find happen with the mortgages? Right? They peaked out back in October, November, but now they're a lot lower. Well, not a lot, but they're lower than they were, right? Because those mortgage-backed security investors found their mark. They're like, man, that's the yield that I need. That's what I'm looking for, right? That's enough for me. And they're buying in on that market. So unless you have a flood of mortgage-backed securities coming in, like through refinancing or the sale of homes or something, then the Federal Reserve can trickle that mortgage-backed securities off their balance sheet into that market without disrupting it very, you know, terribly bad. Um, at least that's the, the position that I feel is taking place. Now, when it comes to the treasuries, something very similar is happening there. Now, I know a lot of people might argue with this, but really all it takes is less treasury issuance. So if you were to, say, raise taxes, get, you know, whether it's, you know, taxes on payrolls, taxes on corporations, whatever, well, that would be more revenue coming in. You wouldn't have to issue out as many treasuries. Or if you actually did something smart, like cut government, cut government spending, you know, and stuff like that, that would also diminish the amount of treasuries being issued out there. So again, like when you think about like how many investors that are in the entire world who want to get a hold of treasuries, the Federal Reserve dumping treasuries into that market would cause the prices of them to fall and the yields to rise. But if the government isn't issuing out treasuries or as many treasuries during that time, raising taxes to come up with the you know, revenue that they need to function, then you could find where the Federal Reserve could unwind those treasuries into the market without causing the yields to just like skyrocket. If that happens, I don't know, but that seems to be the case at least that's what I'm, you know, coming to the conclusion of in a lot of ways. Just simply from the fact that the Fed has continually, continuously lifting or raising the interest rates on the Fed funds, but the 10-year and the mortgage-backed securities don't work in lockstep. That's something, you know, that's something to think about. Why not? I mean, everybody said that as the Fed lifts interest rates, all the rest of the interest rates were going to rise and it was going to cause everybody to go bankrupt. It's not the case, you know. All right, what time is it? All right, I got about another five, ten minutes, guys. All right, you called it. I found your other video from eight days ago, a few minutes ago. Wow, I am in sales at a lumberyard. Hey, thank you very much, Hector. Yeah, you know, I I've been, I put out a lumber video like once a week. I try to I try to do at least a, a video once a week to give because really there's a lot of people who follow this channel, who I mean, not only are they big hedge fund managers and stuff like that, but all the way down to just the, you know, 
small-time contractor who's looking to do deck packages or fence packages or something like that and trying to get the best deal that they can on it watching this channel i've had so many people send me emails and you know thank yous and just everything saying hey man you saved my you saved my bacon on a lot of projects by following your calls that you were making in the lumber you know being able to call out those future prices and saying hey man now's the time if you got a project you better get into it by giving those calls out there, there's been a lot of people who have come to me and said, man, thank you so much. I saved so much money on my project. Now, I, I'm totally cool with that. Like I am down for it because I can definitely make those calls. The people who come to me and said, hey man, I made a bunch of money trading lumber or trading, doing stock trades off of your information. How they did that, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what it is that they were into. I don't know what trades they did. I don't know how it is that they use this information to make a bunch of money in the stock market. But I know that they do it. Right? I'm more geared towards the things that I know, and I know swinging hammers. And so if I see now this is the time to buy your deck package, I'm going to call that out because that's what I know, right? Anyway, I got to go, guys. Thank you so much. It has been fun hanging out here with you. We have 262 of you, 180 likes, $1.99 super chat. Thank you so much for that. You guys are so awesome and very supportive of the channel. I can never thank you guys enough for that. And uh, let me answer one more question here. I got another. Yeah, I got five minutes. I can answer one more. Let's see. Stainless steel doesn't corrode. Great for use as cutlery and surgical equipment holding a sharp edge etc gold thanks stainless steel is non-magnetic hey thanks glenn thanks for being oh and thanks for uh the memberships too you know i'm gonna do some videos i posted a video for just the members um i posted that earlier today trying to give something for the members who have uh who have joined the channel um and it's only a dollar a month, right? It's a dollar a month to join the channel. You get the membership, which I am going to try and be, you know, I didn't even know what I was supposed to do with the whole membership thing, but I'm going to try and do stuff for you guys to, to encourage, um, to encourage the memberships. And one of those things is going to be exclusive videos for you. So I posted an exclusive video talking about the lumber market. Um, you know, if you guys want to go see that, it's only a dollar to join and you can go and check it out. Um, and I will try and do more of those exclusive videos for you, um, you know, and I'm going to try and cut loose a little bit more with it, trying to, uh, like, I have kind of opened up a little bit more lately, but I'm going to try and do that a little bit more for you guys so that uh, it makes it a little bit more personal for you. And then also maybe uh, post a little more frequently, too, maybe not just necessarily trying to come up with, like, a really good YouTube video, but maybe just some casual videos to pop in there as well. So, wow, you guys are hitting me with the super chats. Thank you so much. That is awesome. Thank you Opie for the $10 and thank you Hector for the 1999. You have a new sub for sure. Well, thank you Hector, man. I really appreciate that. You know, I mean, we're out here, we're working, we're trying to figure it out. We're sharing our information. You know, we're using the information for the best of our abilities to figure out what it is that we need to do so that we can can, you know, conduct ourselves in the best appropriate fashions that are going to help out our families, our friends, ourselves, you know, it's really important that we take care of ourselves, you know, so that, I mean, you know, somebody said that to me a while back. They were like, you know, dude, take care of yourself, man. Take care of yourself and make sure that you're taking care of yourself because how the hell are you going to take care of your family if you don't take care of yourself? Have you ever seen a man take care of his family and didn't take care of himself first? And that's something very uh, true to think about, you know, so...
this is what we're doing here. We're trying to figure it out so we can conduct ourselves in the most appropriate fashions we can. All right. Thank you so much for hanging out. I got to go. Uneducated economist. You guys let me know.